Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Listen to any true crime podcast, and you are likely to find an episode on a child who has died of abuse and neglect. My other podcast, Stolen Lives, We have so many episodes on children whose lives were cut short because they were beaten, starved, suffocated and burned. For today's episode, I could have included close to a thousand children who have died at the hands of a family member or caregiver. Deepening this tragedy, in most of these cases, the abuser, the murderer, was known to caseworkers whose job was to protect them. Children Failed by the System, this week on Mysteriously Listed. Number 7. Markella Thompson Ebony Thompson was subject to numerous orders to stay away from her five children. Her children were removed from her care and their father was given full custody. Thompson only allowed visitation under supervision. At the time of the children's removal from Thompson's care, there had been eight child protective investigations, with seven naming Thompson as the perpetrator. There were multiple serious allegations against Thompson, using marijuana while pregnant, failure to get any prenatal care in all five of her pregnancies, medical neglect, and the children being exposed to illicit drugs. Thompson struggled to secure housing after this, and the children's father allowed her to move back into the family home without Child Protective Services' knowledge. Despite initially stating Thompson never was left unsupervised with the children, it was later discovered this was not the case. That she would be left with the children while their father left the home to run errands frequently. December 14, 2010, would be one of these occasions. On this day, four-month-old Markella would be left with her mother for an undisclosed period of time. During this time, Thompson would become frustrated that Markella would not stop crying. She would place her hand on Markella's neck to quieten her down, cutting off airflow to the infant and causing her death. A medical examiner would find that at the time of her death, Markella had an arm injury, three broken ribs, and injuries to her clavicle, elbow and rib that were in various stages of healing. She also had pneumonia. She was the size of a newborn, being extremely malnourished and dehydrated. Thompson would be ultimately charged with first-degree murder and two counts of aggravated child abuse. Number 6. Angelia Robles Angelia Robles was disadvantaged from the start. She was born October 24, 2007, two months premature, to mother 15-year-old Rosie Goines. 
and father, 25-year-old Angel Robles, who had a violent criminal record. The two were no longer together at the time of Angelia's birth. Rosie and Angelia were also homeless, with Rosie having medical problems, and she was struggling adjusting to her new role caring for a newborn. Not long after Angelia's birth, her mother Rosie would show up at the hospital, saying she was afraid she was going to hurt her baby. This was reported to the Department of Child Protection, but it was not actioned at the time to save Angelia's life. January 10, 2008, when Angelia was almost three months old, and according to Rosie's version of events, Rosie went to a restaurant to use the bathroom to clean both her and her daughter. When leaving, she was carrying Angelia in one arm and her towel, lotion and shampoo in another. The lotion dropped and when she bent to get it, she hit Angelia's head into the wall. Over the next four days, Angelia would cry, vomit and refuse her bottle. January 14, 2008. Angel Robles would contact 911 to report his daughter unresponsive. The story being, Rosie had brought the baby to him as she was unsure what was wrong with her, why she wouldn't settle and take her bottle. She left the baby in his care and this was when Angelia started suffering from seizures. It seems after banging the baby's head, instead of calling 911 when Angelia was limp and unresponsive, She would walk to the motel Robles was staying at and simply hand the baby over to him. Caseworkers later attributing this odd behaviour to the pressures the teen mum faced in raising a child, rather than guilt in harming her. A medical examiner would ultimately rule Angelia's death to be accidental. This would be until May 2009, more than a year after Angelia's death when Robles would be arrested in connection with another baby's death. In May 2009, Robles would call 911 to report his girlfriend's 11-month-old son, Isaiah Maguire, unresponsive. His autopsy-determining cause of death being blunt force trauma to his head. Isaiah would die only hours later. Robles would be charged with first-degree murder, aggravated assault, and sexual battery in connection to that death. Because of this, Angelia's death investigation was reopened. No further information is available at the time of this recording. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Number 5. Cortez Williams 17-year-old Chantez Williams was a child of the system. She had numerous Department of Child Protection reports filed listing her as the victim during her childhood. Unfortunately, this trend would continue when she had her own children, 
two boys. There was a report to Child Protection prior to 2008 that suggested her eldest son had been sexually abused by her boyfriend. This report would be closed with no further action taken. On April 30, 2008, Williams and boyfriend Jarrell Mitchell would attend Wolfson Children's Hospital in Jacksonville, Florida, with two-year-old Cortez unconscious and unresponsive. He would immediately be placed on life support, whilst doctors frantically worked to save the little boy's life. According to the couple, Cortez had been in Mitchell's custody in the days prior to seeking medical treatment. Mitchell claimed that Cortez had simply become ill and, quote, had a funny look on his face, as if something was wrong with him, unquote. Cortez lost consciousness, but Mitchell stated he didn't think it was time to call an ambulance, but instead called Williams and asked her if Cortez had ever, quote, played dead when he was sick, unquote. Williams said he did not, but it would still take her four hours to come home and check her son, and then another 45 minutes for either Williams or Mitchell to call an ambulance. But when doctors examined Cortez, his injuries were not consistent with him simply being unwell, and they would later call the case the worst case of child abuse they had ever seen. Cortez had both fresh and old bruises all over his body, a handprint on his face, a knot on the back of his neck, marks on his back that appeared to have been caused by a belt, and several open wounds on his buttocks. He had a brain hemorrhage. Cortez also had severe eczema on his legs that had been neglected for some period of time. Unfortunately, Cortez never woke up and died on May 3rd, 2008. Because of his injuries and brain hemorrhage and Williams and Mitchell's bizarre story, Department of Child Protection were contacted and then the police. Williams would now change her story that she was responsible for Cortez's death. She would state that on April 30th, Cortez would not do what she asked him to, that he would not, quote, sit down and behave, unquote. Williams claimed she lost her patience with the toddler and built him with a belt and a shoe for 15 minutes. During this assault, Williams said that Cortez fell down twice and hit his head. However, this would not be the whole story. When police interviewed Williams' boyfriend, Mitchell, the truth would be it was not Williams who had caused her son's death. It was Mitchell. Although Williams did beat her son, it seemed to be a regular occurrence with the injuries Cortez had, but it would be Mitchell that delivered the fatal blows. When police interviewed Mitchell, he claimed that while washing Cortez, the toddler had fallen and hit the back of his head on the edge of the metal tub. This was enough for the police, and after forensically searching Mitchell's home, there was enough evidence to arrest Mitchell. He would ultimately be convicted of aggravated manslaughter against a child and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Because of her confession and Cortez's injuries, Williams's eldest son would be permanently removed from her care, and she would be sentenced to sadly only one year in prison, 
after being convicted of aggravated child abuse in her treatment towards Cortez. Number four, Anton Powell. According to the police report filed after his death, Anton Powell's two older sisters were, quote, extremely aggressive children who abused and tortured their infant brother, unquote. Both girls acknowledged that one of them had dropped five-month-year-old Anton on the floor on purpose when he wouldn't stop crying. The other girl dragged him across the floor by his left arm. This abuse was also targeted towards another sibling, Anton's older brother, who one of the girls had tried to kill. But despite this worrying behaviour, their mental health problems were not treated and seemingly ignored by their mother. 30-year-old Cynthia Kalia would ignore her children on a regular basis and would leave them in a filthy motel room where the family were living in April 2008. She was offered not even there and would leave the four children unattended for long periods of time. In fact, Cynthia would leave the children with people she'd only just met and would sometimes allow complete strangers to move into the motel room with her and the young children. Cynthia was likely aware of at least some of Anton's injuries up to four days before she sought medical care for him. It wouldn't be until Cynthia observed a lump on Anton's motionless left arm that she took him to the hospital. Unfortunately, doctors would later report Anton would have been in severe pain for those four days because of the extent of his injuries. On March 17, 2008, Anton was hospitalised and treated for two broken arms, two broken legs, five fractured ribs and other wounds, but some of the fractures were at least 10 days old. Unfortunately, Anton developed a staph infection from his injuries, which would later turn into sepsis. He would die on April 15, 2008, with his mother by his side. Cynthia's three other children were removed from her care, and five months after Anton's death, she was arrested and charged with aggravated manslaughter of a child. She faced 30 years in prison, but was able to plead to a lesser charge of child abuse, which carried a sentence of two years. The family's history with the Department of Child Protection was lengthy, with as many as seven reports filed from 2002. Although most of the information out there is redacted, it appears there were efforts to deal with mental health issues at least twice. There was also a physical abuse allegation in 2005 against Cynthia's then-boyfriend, although it was determined there was not enough evidence for there to be further intervention. Prison records say Cynthia's right arm displays a tattoo, in loving memory of Anton. Number 3. Hayley Caples In late 2005, when Hayley Caples was just 16 months old, she and her two brothers were removed from Department of Child Protection from the care of their mother, Hetty Caples, after she was arrested for child abuse and neglect. The children were sent to live with their father, Edward Caples. This was despite earlier allegations to Child Protective Services 
that he had hit at least one of the boys countless times with a belt, causing bleeding, welts and bruises. Three days after they were placed with their father, the children were moved again, this time into foster care, after it was discovered that Edward Caples had been implicated in prior allegations of sexual abuse. Despite this, three months later, the children were back with their father. This was even after he had been arrested during their time in foster care for domestic violence after an incident involving his girlfriend, Terry. On March 21, 2008, while Caples was at work, Terry was watching 20-month-year-old Haley when, according to her, Haley fell out of her crib. Neighbours would later report the thud being so loud that it could be heard from outside the home. Unfortunately, Haley would die two days later from severe head trauma and had sustained retinal hemorrhaging and other injuries. An autopsy found that Haley's injuries could not be the result of falling from her crib and that the injuries were days or even weeks old. This suggested sustained abuse over a period of time. Investigators again interviewed Terry, who provided them with four different stories about how Haley could have been injured. Haley's death was declared a homicide, but an investigation failed to determine who had inflicted the fatal blows. Haley's death was declared a homicide, but an investigation failed to determine who had inflicted the fatal blows. Number 2. Jesse Lassiter By the time someone had sought medical attention for 21-year-old Jesse Lassiter, it was much too late. The toddler had already been dead a couple of days. Jesse had been in the care of her mother, who told relatives that her daughter was sick and that she was staying home with her while the rest of the extended family went away for the July 4th holiday in 2008. It would be only when Jessie's mother's stepsister stopped in for a surprise visit a few days later that she noticed Jessie was blue and unresponsive and she called 911. Paramedics who went to the house found the child in a state of partial rigor mortis. It was estimated that she had died approximately two days earlier. An autopsy showed that Jessie had succumbed to an overdose of over-the-counter drugs the medical examiner determined a cause of death to be a homicide. There were also contusions and abrasions on the toddler's forehead and mouth. At Jessie's funeral, her mother appeared completely psychotic, and Jessie's mother's name has been redacted from Child Protective Services records. But she was, quote, talking about the Middle East and the types of illnesses they are exposed to, unquote. The mother had been in and out of psychiatric facilities and had long been on Department of Child Protection's radar. In November 1999, she and her husband were involved in a physical fight that involved punching, hair-pulling and food-throwing, and they were referred to counselling services. When the couple later divorced, the custody of their son became a huge point of conflict and would be the subject of the next child protection record in 2003. Jessie's mother would insist the child live with her, 
a demand that would result in frequent arguments in front of the child. Not only that, but when the child attempted to discuss moving in with his father, allegedly his mother would then be physically abusive towards him. The father filed for a protective injunction, but a judge denied the request because there was not enough evidence to sustain one. In February 2004, another Department of Child Protection report said Jesse's mother was essentially homeless. They listed six maltreatments in the care of her son, including abandonment, mental injury, inadequate supervision, clothing, food and shelter. According to the report on one occasion, she simply left the boy on the side of the road, although she did call his father to pick him up. The woman was described as fearing that people were trying to kill her, and she was known to act irrational and erratically. The report would state that, quote, she borrowed her mother's car and drove it around in circles. Another time she drove it until it ran out of gas and left it in the middle of the highway, throwing the keys somewhere not to be found, unquote. It was after this 2004 report that the boy's father was finally able to gain custody of him and be granted a domestic violence injunction against his former wife. However, from our research, there is no evidence of any services being offered to the mother at that time. Jessie Lassiter was born on October 13, 2006, while her mother was again homeless. The next Department of Child Protection report was filed in April 2008, when Jessie and her mother had been living in a shelter at the time. Her mother had gotten into another physical altercation with another woman. By the time the caseworker arrived, Jessie and her mother had left, and no follow-up was undertaken because Jessie and her mother could not be located. Three months later, Jessie was dead. Number 1. John Tillman When John Tillman was three months old, his father, Gregory Tillman, was arrested and charged with beating the baby's mother, Sonia Lugo. Because of this incident, Lugo was court-ordered to sign a safety plan, promising to avoid domestic violence and protect John from his father. Despite this, February 3, 2008, Six-month-year-old John was left in his father's care whilst his mother went to work. Sometime during the day, Tillman would contact Lugo. He would tell her that John would not settle and was crying. He threatened to, quote, send the baby to the hospital, unquote, if she did not return from her job at the local flea market and tend to John. Lugo said she couldn't and she stayed at work. Unfortunately, Tillman made good of these threats. Enraged by John's cries, Tillman shook and beat his son to death. He beat him so hard that knuckle marks would remain on John's cheeks. The coroner would later report that the reason John was crying so much would be most likely as a result of being burnt with a hot object, such as a curling iron. Tillman was found guilty of first-degree murder and child abuse. He is currently serving a life sentence. Do you have something you would like to see mysteriously listed? 
Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Message us on Facebook at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. If you like what you've heard today, we would love for you to share this episode on your social media of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you could leave a positive review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com